All right. Good morning. <laughs> I should add to that last story. When we were here, he specifically told me, you should never, ever start a church. You would not be a good pastor. And at that time, that was true. Just saying, there's a lot to that story. And then that's why I was so surprised whenever he was like, yeah, that's God, click. And I thought, well, you don't do that anymore. That. But he, um, I was like, wow, things have changed, I guess. So that's cool. And no, we're thankful. For, we wouldn't be where we are without Pastor Mike and Melody in this church. I mean, there was... Uh, uh, well, Travis is here too. We were I was talking before service, and uh, Travis led the youth before we did. And I would I was talking to him. I it was like I don't know. I, I was talking to him. I said, "Man, I don't know how you do it. I could not be a youth pastor dealing with all them emotions and hormones and all the stuff." And I just how do you do it? And then he was he ended up leaving. It was only about four or six weeks later, and. Um, Pastor Mike brought us into his office and asked if we would consider being the youth pastor. And I don't know what happened in those four to six weeks, but I didn't even have to pray about it. I, I, yes, this is what we're going to do. And at that time, I could not speak in front of anybody. It was, I was terrified. That first week I stood up in front of six homeschooled teenagers, <laughs> terrified. My knees are, I had to get a little cart and stand behind it because my knees were shaking so bad. So scared. And I don't know what I said. I'm just thankful they don't listen anyway because it was a horrible, horrible thing. But, you know, that, that pushed us. It, it made us, I knew I was called to be a minister. I knew I was called to do what I do now. But I, uh, where I was, it seemed impossible. It seemed impossible. But I knew that was in me. So I put myself in situations to stretch me and, and uh, step out of my comfort zone. And I tell our church this all the time, but if you can just, if you're willing to step out of your comfort zone, just one step, just one step, we're not asking for a lot, but if you just step one little step before you know it, that becomes your comfort zone. Then you take another step and then another and another. And before you know it, you're so far removed from where you started. You don't even know how you got there. It's not that it, it just simplifies things. Sometimes we look at the future and we think, Man, I wish I was there. I wish I was th like that person. Well, they had a starting place too. And they took a step, and they took a step, and they took a step. And so that's all we got to focus on. I really like in John 10, 10, in the message translation, it says that, uh, let's see, a thief is only there to steal and to kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I really love that, that translation. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Jesus came to give you a life that's greater than you ever dreamed of. I like that because the life that I'm living now, when we started here at RMFC, it was, this was a dream. To do something like this is a dream that seemed impossible, but now I'm living the dream. I'm, I've, I've got there. So now what do I do? Do I just coast living the dream. I'm good. No, God has something greater than we could ever dream of. So when we get to that point, when those, you take a step and a step and a step and that dream becomes your reality, dream bigger. And you take bigger steps and you step into areas that you never thought were possible again. So we never get to that point where we just coast because God always has something better for you. This is not just a, a feel-good message. This is something that will radically transform your life. It will, it will produce 
things in your life. You'll produce miracles in your life, breakthroughs, financial breakthroughs. It'll produce healed relationships, restored relationships, just by understanding the unconditional love and grace of God. So whenever we first started coming here, like I said, this was just an impossible thing, but I got to know God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not us trying and striving and doing, it's understanding the goodness of God, period. That's it. And that, if that's all you, that's all you need to know. What we like to do is we muddy the waters. The gospel's simple, but we, we say, yeah, God is good, but you need to confess to maintain your righteousness. God is good. <laughs> he loves us, but you need to give that 10% every Sunday. <laughs> you, you need to, uh, God, is, God loves you, but if you sin, he will strike you down. He will teach you. He'll take your job. He'll, he'll withhold things. He'll withhold those blessings until you get your act together. And it's such a backwards way of approaching everything. It's not act this way and then God. It's God has, and that will produce good works in your life. It'll produce the change. Then you want to give. You don't have to give out of obligation. I get to give. I get to support an awesome church that's spreading the gospel of grace. Praise God, that's awesome. So I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna, I wanna serve, I wanna volunteer, I wanna be a part of something that's bigger than myself because God has called each and every one of us to something greater than ourselves. Each person in this room has their own individual purpose. You're not, you're not just thrown out here just to figure life out. That's not how it works. You have a purpose. You are a part of the body of Christ and each individual part of the body has its own function. I used to think I was just the appendix, you know? They'll just eventually blow up and kill somebody. But I, I, we, I don't know why I said that. But I, there's, some people are a hand. If you're a hand, be a hand. But don't expect somebody else to do things the way that you do. And I think there's a, a there's something, there's a, a mis- alignment, I guess you could say, in the body of Christ where we think you have to do things just like me. And if you don't, I want nothing to do with you. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But where we start is Jesus, period. It's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. That's the foundation of our faith. We like to build our faith on all sorts of different foundations. And, and we, it's just, that's why there's 48,000 different Christian denominations out there. There's all these different belief systems in the Christian faith, and they're all built on a different foundation. But our foundation across the board should be the resurrection of Jesus. That's it. How that manifests in your life, how you go about doing that, do you believe in the gifts? Do you believe in healing? Do you believe in prosperity? Do you, all that, it's, no, I don't agree with that, so leave me alone. I want nothing to do with you. Let's, let's stop focusing so much on how we're different, but how we're the same. And if all we have is Jesus, that's, that's enough. That's enough, all right? So, um, but what we need to do is renew our minds to the truth. Hosea 4, 6 says that his people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. It doesn't say his people are destroyed because they sin too much, or they don't give enough, or they don't do enough. It's a lack of knowledge, because what you understand about God changes how you act. So that's it. We got to keep peeling the layers back, keep peeling it back, 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 to just 
the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. He died and raised again. I think that if, if some guy came, because lots of people are out there and they say, I'm God. You go downtown Houston, there's some crazy out there. I'm God, I'm God. And I'm not just, oh, he's God? Sweet, I'm gonna worship that dude. It doesn't work like that. But if somebody says they're God and that they're gonna die and that three days later, they're gonna raise, a, raise, them, raise from the dead and then they do it, they might be legit, right? So that's where we start. This guy is the son of God, the Messiah. And that's where we start everything and how you go about it is different. But going back to John 10, 10, this is just in the, the new King James, but the thief does not come except to steal, kill and destroy. A lot of times we think that God is behind our pain. God is behind our sickness, behind our lack and that sort of thing. But it doesn't say that God is behind that. It says the thief is behind that. Sometimes God gets the blame for a whole bunch of stuff that he really has nothing to do with. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come they may, may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. When we read that verse in John 10, 10, a lot of times what we say is, okay, I got it. God is good. The thief is bad. And in our mind, we say the thief is the devil. The thief is the devil. God good, devil bad, live life. Cool, got it. But in context, the thief is not the devil. It's not, it's a, a, down the line, you might be able to, to put it with that. But in context, if you start in John 10, 1, John 10, 1, did, do you still have that up there? I don't know if you still do. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. What Jesus is talking about here is not the devil. He's talking about religious Pharisees who were saying the, that you could earn your way to God. He, you need to follow these rules, follow these laws in order to be accepted by God. And he says, that's, that's robbing you from God's best. It's, that is a thief that's stealing, killing, and destroying what God has created because everything that he's created for you is good. It's very good. So, so if we can approach God just for who he is because of Jesus it changes everything then he jumped to verse 7 then Jesus said to them again most assuredly I say to you I am the door of the sheep all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not hear him and, and I am the door if anyone enters by me he'll be saved and will go on or go in and out and find pasture the thief does not come to steal kill and destroy the thief is religious thinking so the way you think about God, the way you approach God can either give you life or it can kill you, literally. I've known many people that be, uh, believed that God was behind their pain and they just accept it. That cancer, well, God, I must've did something to deserve it. I haven't even, I haven't been in this Bible in months. Why would I expect to get my healing? Why would I expect to get that job? Because I don't, even, I don't even acknowledge God unless I need something. And it's this backwards mentality. God is with you whether you acknowledge it or not. <laughs> All right. All right. John 16, 33, I've told you these things that in me, oh, this is in the Amplified. In me, you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But... 
I said something inappropriate at that part last service, so I'm going to watch it. But then I just said that I said something inappropriate, so I might as well have said it. All right, but be of good cheer. Take courage. Be confident, certain, undaunted. You're going to go through some stuff, and you can go just whatever. It doesn't affect me at all. Why? For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and conquered it for you. That's good news. That is great news because now, okay, does the, has the world, is the world harming you? Well, Jesus took away its power to harm you. So where's the, the misalignment? Where's the, something's not adding up. Well, what do you know about God? Do you think that he's behind your pain? No, I mean, do you think he's causing this stuff? Or Because if you do, you're going to run away from him. Adam ran away from God thinking he was in trouble. Cain ran away from God. And what did God do in both of those situations? Ran out there looking for him. The prodigal son, he's out there. The father sees him from a distance. That means he was looking for him. And what did he do? He didn't say, all right, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. And whenever he finally gets to me, then I will uh, we'll have that talk. No, the father sees his son in the distance and he runs toward him. He runs toward him because under the law, there was a a prodigal son would be stoned to death. So the father runs to his son to intercept any punishment that would have been there for going the wrong direction. We think that if we go the wrong direction, God is done with us. He wants nothing to do with us, but that could not be further from the truth. Hebrews 13, 5, in the Amplified, it says, this is the second half of it, but for he, God himself, has said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give up on you, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, in case you didn't get the first two times, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, let you down, relax my hold on you, assuredly not. There's a whole lot of no's and nots in there. And we still think if you do something wrong, he's out the door. He's not going to talk. He's, he's, out, he's like a toddler, and he's going to go stand in the corner, put his hands across his chest, and be, I'm not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. You said a body word, and I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You're in timeout. I'm in timeout, however you would say it. And it's just this, everything's messed up. We got to back up, peel those layers back, and say, it's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and, it's just Jesus. Isn't that easy? Isn't it so much easier just to live life and just like, man, God is good. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. That those two letters right there, for God so loved the world, shows so much passion behind his motivation for giving us everything. I mean, I love Pastor Mike. He's cool not giving my son up for him. It's not, I mean, I would not do it. It's just not, it's not happening. There's nobody in this world that I'd give my son up for. Nobody. He gave everything for God so loved the world. It's just, this is such a simple message, but we have to get, declutter everything. Declutter everything. Y'all watch that declutter show on Netflix? I don't clean the house, but I, or whenever I watch that, I want to clean the house. So I actually do that hoarder show. So then I'm like, I'm doing all right. (laughs) I lost my notes here. I'm filling time with talking about Netflix shows. All right. So what you believe about God can either give you life or it can kill you 
literally it will and so i want to read this passage uh, here in a second but what what happens when you start hearing this and i think a lot of you in this room know this stuff already because pastor mike says it all the time and we need to hear it all the time because when life happens we go back to oh what did i do wrong why is this happening our defaults just just law or you know what am i works legalism all that it just happens because we're so ingrained with this stuff but whenever you start to understand this stuff questions start coming up in your mind those but what about verses those passages in scripture well if god is so good what about this what about job what about uh, all sorts of different things just a, a bunch of different things but if we could approach it from just the simplicity of everything and just say god is good he gave his son for me and that's it that's all that's important. And then build from there, I think we would see things a little differently. And we'd see that the things that we think we know about certain passages are just things that have been handed down to us from other people, but we don't have an understanding of it for ourselves. So I want to read something here and just approach it as simple as it says. And it starts in uh, Acts 4.32. What we're going to talk about here is Ananias and Sapphira. If you don't know who Ananias and Sapphira are, it's just this husband and wife, and the story goes, or how a lot of people interpret the story, is they go in and they they lie. They uh, We'll talk about the details of it in a minute, but they lie, and, and they say they lie to God, and then generally the teaching is you lied to God, God kills Ananias and Sapphira for lying to him. My question is, how many of you have ever lied to the Holy Spirit? Just us two. It's a good church, man. It's awesome. Um, my church is like everybody. Um, but all of us have been to, in that point. We won't admit it, especially in church. You don't talk like that in church. We got to put our church faces on this morning. But if you say, God, if you give me this job, I promise I will read my Bible every day. Nobody? Okay. God, if you heal me of this head cold, I will serve, I'll become an usher at church. I will get so involved. I'll start giving more. I'll start serving more. Then you get your healing. You get your job. And you're like, wait a second. That doesn't sound like something I would say. No. No, we've all lied to God. We lie to ourselves. Of course we're going to lie to God. We say things to ourselves about ourselves that aren't true, and whether it's good or bad. And, and it's just this, we've all lied. So why would God kill Ananias and Sapphira for lying? Doesn't add up. Let's investigate. All right, Acts 4.32. I like to, the story actually starts in chapter 5, but I like to back up a, a little bit whenever I do this. But now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the only thing that's important. And what happened? Great grace was upon them all. Just by magnifying the resurrection of Jesus great grace was upon them. If that's all we agree on, that's all we need. But what's interesting here is this, this, this church at that time was just blowing up. People were coming from all over the place. Tons of people were coming in and the people involved in that said, we need to do something. So they started sharing all their stuff. They'd sell their possessions, give it to the church so they could help all these people that were coming in, just multitudes of people. And so they, they started selling all their stuff, and they were of one heart and one soul. 
That's so important, especially in a, a church like this, to be one heart and one soul. Unfortunately, what we see more of, especially throughout the body of Christ, is a lot of individual divisions. You're different than me. I don't want anything to do with you. I believe in healing. You don't, so leave me alone. I believe in speaking in tongues. You don't, so leave me alone. And we, we find all these reasons to get or to disagree, to divide ourselves amongst one another. And it is the most anti-Christ approach to church or life of anything I can think of. And it's happening right in the, the church. It's heartbreaking. And so rather, like I said, if we were, we're a body of Christ and we all have our individual purposes and rather than finding our differences and, and separating ourselves from one another, what we should do is look at our differences and figure out how we can work together to reach more people because his people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. He loves the world. It's not us in the world. It's all of us together. God, for God so loved the world. He didn't just love the people that loved him back because the people that he was, I mean, they're driving nails into his hand. He did it for those people. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Jesus came to take away the sin of the world. A lot of times we just think, oh, I'm, I'm a child of God. I go to church every Sunday and God loves me more than that sinner out there. And he, I'm telling you, he loves that sinner out there just as much as he loves you, just as much as he loves me. And so that's, that's the approach. And so when they all got together, I mean, this is thousands of people. Of course, they're not all going to be the same. I mean, even my relationship with each one of my kids, I have three kids, two girls and a boy, and each individual child has a different relationship with me. It looks different. I approach our oldest, Grace, in one way because she's real shy and introvert. And then our youngest, Ruby, she's a little more not that way. So I, I talk to her differently and our, it's an individual relationship. My relationship with God is going to look different than Travis's. It's going to look different than Laura's or Pastor Mike's. It's all going to look different. And I can't say that he's wrong because he doesn't do it like me or the other way around. It's like, man, that's how he, he relates to God. So that's cool. As long as he's relating to God on some level, some people worship and they're all crazy. And it's like, not crazy, but you know, like, there you go. Excited. And then there's people like me that's just like, I might even sit down and the excited person over there might look at me and say, that guy, is he speaking today? He can't even worship. He can't even worship God. He's going to get up there and speak. And they don't know on the inside of me, my world was just rocked, but I'm different. I don't, I'm not like that. So my relationship with God looks different. Laura, whenever she worships, whenever her time with God is blasting the radio and screaming and looking like a beautiful woman. Uh, whoa, uh, <laughs> just so cool. Uh, but that's her, me studying in reading, in learning. That's worship for me. It looks different. So we can't look at the person beside us in church and say, they're not very spiritual. The person jumping around is not more spiritual than the person sitting down. All right. I could go on all day on that. Verse 34, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. 
So, like I said, I'm not going to read all this, but what, what was going on was everyone was selling their things, and they were trying to help out because all these people were uh, coming in. Um, Acts 5.1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of, your land, of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own after it was sold? Was it not your, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. He is laying on a guilt trip for sure. And then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last Dun, dun, dun. It's all right, everyone. See you next week. No, I, I won't be here. Um, the, so like I said, the way people interpret this is, okay, he lied about this and, and he could have given whatever he wanted, but he gave a portion of it. He said he gave all of it. And now Peter's making him feel terrible about it. And then he falls over and dies. Can you leave that last verse up there, please? And, and it, it's, how we typically read it is then Ananias hearing these words fell down and breathed his last because God killed him it doesn't say that God killed him it said that he fell down and breathed his last King James Version says gave up the ghost but nowhere does it say that God killed Ananias moving on Verse 7, now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. What's up with Peter, man? It's crazy because I know that if, if Pastor Mike was in here and he lied and then he fell over dead and we went and buried him out back, then Melody comes in, I'd probably mention that first. I would probably say, hey, your husband died. Oh, by the way, are you lying too? Then lay on the guilt. But start with the fact that your husband died. That would be number one on the list. Anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. I'm just telling you. All right, so now it's about three hours later. Okay, verse eight, and Peter answered, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He said, yeah, for so much. Then Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Holy or the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. How we read this is, then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last because God killed her. It doesn't say that. We add things to scripture by how we interpret who God is. If we think God is out to steal, kill, and destroy, that's how we will start to interpret this. We'll start to see it in here, but if we can see him as a loving father who will never leave us nor forsake us, that perfect love casts out fear. And it's not how much I love God, but it's how much he loved me and gave his son to be the propitiation for my sins. He gave everything so I can live in a, a life that's greater than I could ever dream of. If I will start to see God that way, I will start to see it from Genesis to Revelation in here. The issue is we don't know God. I love that sign out there, rethink God. It seems like, yeah, God is good. That's easy. The world does not think that. The world sees God as an angry, bipolar, homophobic bully. 
that will kill you if you break one of his rules, if you step out of line. That's how the world sees it. And then we wonder why, why the world is going that way and we're going this way and this gap gets wider and wider. It's because we have not presented God to the world for who he truly is. It's just love, love, acceptance. God, Jesus didn't come to cause division. He came to bring unity. This is important. We have to under, because whenever you can look at yourself and say, man, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve any of this, but God looked at me and thought I was valuable. When he hung on that cross, he saw me. He saw each one of us and he thought, it, he knew it was worth it. He knew it was worth it. And I'm a mess. I got issues. I don't deserve any of this stuff. So whenever I can see that God love, loves me, not because I am, not because I'm perfect, but because his love doesn't look at that. He doesn't, he wants to help you through it. Then I can look at the people out there and love them in the middle of their mess. I can start to, when I see myself the way that God sees me, I can see them the way that God sees them. All right, so we can't add to scripture because we don't understand who God is. It never says that. I believe, and this is just me, I've studied this out, but if you look up the names Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias means Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is gracious, or grace, you could say. Sapphira, sapphire in the old covenant breastplate of the priest, sapphire represented law and judgment. Law and judgment. So right there, you have law and grace married to one another. When you are mixing God's amazing grace with a law that was never for a Gentile to begin with. It was the law of Israel, not Gentiles. But when we start mixing, yeah, God is, is good, but you need to follow these commands. God is love, but you need to hold up your end of the bargain. There's a responsibility on your part. Yeah, there's a responsibility on our part, but all it is is a response to his ability. If we can respond knowing who he is, it will change you from the inside out. And you don't have to try, you don't have to strive, you don't have to do anything except just walk it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. It says work out. It's in you. It's in all of us, but we have to work it out. We have to renew our minds to who he is. When we marry law and grace, it could kill you. There's a, a friend of mine, he's from South Africa, and he tells a story about uh, there's witch doctors out there. Witch doctors, and if someone makes you mad, you, you go put a a curse on him through this witch doctor. So if Joel, if he was like, man, I'm going to say mean things to Clint. I'd be like, oh, Joel, rascal. So I'm going to go put a curse on him, kill him. And then I go to the witch doctor. The witch doctor does his little thing on this little piece of bone. And I take it home and I sneak into Joel's house and I put that bone in his sock drawer and I close the drawer and it might sit there for two, three, four months. Nothing ever happened. But one day, Joel opens his sock drawer. He pulls out that one pair of socks and there's a bone, that bone sitting there. And everyone in that town knows what that bone is. They know. And, and he's like, oh no, I have a curse on me now. Ah. And he, he, he takes it. And my friend said, within two or three days, that person is dead. There was no power in that bone. It sat there for months, but then their mind, they knew that they had a curse. They accepted things that they've been delivered from and they died from it. I've known people who uh, 
thought God caused their cancer. They accepted their cancer and they died from it. And he came to set us free from that stuff. There's just all these, we just accept so much whenever we have a wrong understanding of who God is, but he came to set us free, to give us a life that's greater than we could ever imagine, to take take away the power of sin in our life. Whenever we think we have to do something to earn something from God, what we're saying is my performance holds more power than the cross. We're saying that my performance, my good works hold more power than the blood of Christ. And that's obviously not true. Your sins don't hold more power than the cross. And if we can magnify that truth over our performance, over how we feel about ourselves, over all this junk, all this religious nonsense that we always throw out there, we will start to step into something that we never thought was possible. Me up here, I never thought this was possible. It was impossible. I used to sit on that back row and I, I would beeline it for the door. He'd say, amen. I'm like, out. And one day Melody caught me at the door. It's horrible, horrible. And how's it going? What are you into? And all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I want out of this conversation. But she, I, that was me. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I knew I should go to church. I knew I should, but that's about it. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to do anything. And then it just slowly over time, you, uh, they, they made me be a greeter, worst greeter in the history of all greeters. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to look any, anyone in the eyes and it, it was bad, but it forced me out of my bubble. Just one step, one step. Cause I knew some, God had something for me. I knew that I had a purpose for my life and I know that God's good. So I step out. And then I just got involved in every little thing. Then the youth pastor, and then we went and directed a Bible college down in Houston, moved our family halfway across the country to, with a lot of unknowns. And God provided all the time because we knew that he's our provider. We know that he's good. He didn't send us out there to fail. And the worst case scenario is you learn something, right? Some, as, as whenever you understand the goodness of God, sometimes you win and sometimes you learn. That's it. You never lose, you just learn from it and you keep moving forward because it's like Peter walking on the water. When he started to sink, did Jesus say, I told you to stay focused, sorry, bud. No, he was right there and he picked him back up. That's the same thing for us. He's not, he's not gonna let you fail. He's, you're, gonna, you're gonna stumble, you're gonna face trials and tribulations and that sort of thing. But if you understand that God is good and you quit mixing this law and grace and adding things to scripture and adding things to, to try to convince yourself that God isn't as good as he is, then things will start to change. Things will start to change. So I, I just encourage y'all. I mean, thank God for Rocky Mountain Family Church. Thank God for Pastor Mike who preaches a message like this that, that just magnifies the goodness of God because that is the only thing that will cause freedom in your life. It's a knowledge of the truth that sets you free. His people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Grace and peace are multiplied through the knowledge of God. If we don't know it, we're not gonna experience it. So peel back the layers, just start. It's a resurrection, period. Then how you go about it, it's gonna look different. Can't make anyone else look like you or do things like you. You have your own individual relationship with God and it's gonna be awesome. But you have to start somewhere. Start today. Don't say, oh, the only time I ever think about God is Sunday morning. 
okay change that <laughs> you know it's not a big deal we put so much pressure on ourselves and God's just here I am here I am turn to me that's the message that's 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 it God is good if that's all you get God is good can I pray for you Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your love. Thank you for your presence in our life. Father, I thank you that you're not waiting for us to get our act together before you are present in our life, but you are already present. You want to help us get our act together. You want to help us through these problems. Even the problems we've created ourselves, you want to help us through it. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more so if we can magnify you in the midst of our storm that's when miracles happen that's where breakthroughs happen that's where life change happens but it's only your goodness that leads us to repentance so father i thank you i thank you for your love for each and every one of us even when we feel unlovable you're right there So, Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.